Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking about erosion. In our spotlight, we'll look at a software called Field Pocket. Egg History Minute, we're going to talk about the Dust Bowl. And we'll wrap things up with some cool beans that's current, or uh, that's corny with current events. I can talk today, really. Beans that's current. (laughs) With me today are Bill Schaumburg. Hey, guys. Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schaumburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So here we are, week, what, 15 of the NFL season? And Packers could clinch the division this weekend a couple different ways. Uh, a Packers the, win or a Vikings loss, right? Right. But they play the Bears, so it's kind of like, eh. The Vikings play the, the Bears. Bears yeah. Year. Or either one could tie. Yes. Or, yeah, if it's we a loss or tie. either one ties. Yeah. Which means they'd both have to tie, Bill. Because they'd well, be a tie with each other. Tie. So, anyway. Just win, right? Yeah, just win. I mean, hoping for the win out. I don't feel like the division's that much of a worry that they're going to lose it Not either. No, no, no. So it's just, yeah, hopefully get the special teams right, get oh. guys healthy. <laughs> that's Hey, if that's all we got to work on, at least it's one aspect of the game that, you know, that needs the, the most work. They said the Ravens have the number one special yeah, teams. Yeah, they do. We have the worst, they have the best. Yeah. They also have a banged-up quarterback, though, so they do. hopefully that'll... Yeah, they do. I, at least with special teams, it's like just don't make mistakes like that. And I feel like they're telling these guys that, and they're they're so scared now to make mistakes that they got the yips. Like they're just out there, like you know, like Amari Rogers, like just catch the just catch this punt, just catch the punt, and then or, or it, don't yeah. touch it. Just right. let's run, yeah, right. run away from it. Just don't we'll take figure it, it off out. your face. Yeah. During halftime, do they still have WIXX out there doing the halftime catch? Or the crunch time, no. catch? time catch? I haven't no. seen it in a while. Just, I, I think they should just find one there. of those guys that could, <laughs> could do it. Just, just Joe Blow off yeah, the street. Just, All right, you're a new punt returner. Let everybody it, in the stadium give her a shot. There was a kid on the eighth grade football team in Freedom this year that didn't drop a single punt all year. Really? I think we could get him. Get him yeah. 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 Where's this? Remember Tyler Irvin just, last year? Just, just get destroyed. Yeah, Irvin's on the street. Where's him? Go get him. I don't know. It's not good. That's the that's the gist of it. It's not good. It's it's not just returns aren't good. We're terrible on coverage. Yeah. We're really bad. Yeah. Like you give up a punt return that the guy caught it at three and he went and you, yeah. and you had a wall there and your wall just went crumbled. It was great for the Bears. It was a team record, I think, they said that night for I think it was. Punt return. All those years with Devin Hester, and now they broke the record, or now they set the record. That's they said crazy. there was there yeah. was what six gaffes on special teams. Like, just cut those in half, right? And make three of them. We probably win by. Now we're talking smack, but well, uh, but a lot of those went. Touchdowns. A lot of those went back on penalties too, like lucky stuff. Where yeah, the, yeah, the muff by Amari Rogers right. was, was that weird where the guy out. ran out of bounds, and then the like even the onside kick that you can't advance it is right. a weird rule. Because that was crazy. And you don't see many onside kicks it, where a guy catches and can, you know, onside six or, you know, take it like a pick six. six. I, I will say that on the Amari Rogers muff, at least the guy was aware enough on, I don't remember who it was for the Packers, but he had his hands up in the air and was like running backwards down the field when that guy ran out of bounds. Because if you force him out, right. that 
you're right though the guy on oh, right, coverage right. he knew enough, enough that it was a penalty if that guy ran by himself so he yeah. he like worked him to the edge and then just like nope not yeah, touching not you touching. <laughs> all right i'm done talking about the bad parts yeah. of that. let's <laughs> talk about the good parts instead did you did you Russell s- Douglas that that, guy's yeah. a beast. that and um adams's slant touchdown yeah that was like that was like a killer like just fakes the out and then just does the slant that guy had no chance that was just I'm pretty sure they said Rodgers drew, drew that play up on his palm in the huddle, too. Yeah. Pretty sure that's well, the one. Especially in the first half, they were talking how good, because they just did one-on-one coverage, right. and it was working. And then all of a sudden, when it wasn't, it was it was great to yeah. watch. It's just housed them. Well, and after the the game, uh, Nagy's like, oh, uh, I don't know, they weren't doing anything different with with Adams. And then the guy covering him's like, they were doing all sorts of stuff different <laughs> after halftime. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty standard Nagy press conference there. Yeah. He's having fun, though. I'm surprised Urban Meyer got the the boot before he did. I don't yeah, know. but when you all this I'm not surprised crap, Urban Meyer got fired, don't get me but wrong. But all this other crap's coming out now, how he's just a jackass. And he kicked a player. That wasn't like... No. Let go, not. Bobby Knight. Like, yeah, that's not, that's not going to fly. No. It's I, not, not really surprising, though, either. No, and Urban Meyer's used to... Well, this doesn't... I don't know if this makes it any better. Probably makes it worse. He used to coach kids. He could have coached Braylon Allen, who's only 17. Like, think <laughs> really? About that. I didn't know yeah. that. Right? And now he's doing it to grown men, which is... I don't know which one's worse. Neither one's very good. But No, but college coaches control everything about their team, right? They, and they can. These guys, you can't do that. You can't treat them the same, and these coaches can't figure that out. I think Hackett's going to get the coach next year for the Jaguars. That's my, that's oh. my Max Stradamus. <laughs> your Eric your prediction. Bien-Ami. Well, it could be Eric Bieniemy. It's finally going to be time for him to move on from Kansas City. Somebody else said Byron Leftwich. Well, that'd be a good one too. Maybe the guy in Dallas. The my, offense Mike coordinator McCarthy. in Dallas. Mike Mike McCarthy. No, no. <laughs> Jerry the, Jones, the old the quarterback. Um, Garrett. No, no, no. He's the OC in Wade, da- in, Wade Phillips. In, yeah, Wade Phillips. Bum Phillips, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Mc, Mc something. McQuillan? Mc... I know who you mean. I don't know. Mr. McQuillan? I'll, I'll go, our no, old business teacher? Not at all. No, I'm, I don't know why we're struggling so hard with this name right now. Because it's, I think every it's time they play, that's all they talk about. Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore. Yep. Kellen Moore. Right. Yep. He played for um, the Broncos. Not the Broncos. He played for the Broncos, but in college. He's wearing a Broncos jersey. That yeah, looks that's like um, Boise State Cowboys and the Lions. Was he the one they did the um, the Statue of Liberty play where they beat Oklahoma and the whatever? I wonder if that was him. No whatever. clue. Anyway, got off the rails there a little, Matt. That's all right. You guys ready to get into our topic for today? Yep. It. All right. So today we're going to talk about erosion and. Part of the reason I wanted to talk about this today was looking at the last couple of days with the ridiculously high winds that we've had starting Wednesday night, pretty much all day yesterday, and then finally last night sometime kind of tapered off. But when we think about our soil and we talked, you know, about soil health and tillage and all the different stuff main thing we're worried about is erosion. So I looked up a number, and this is a global number, but according to 
what I found here, erosion accounts for 3.4 tons of soil loss per person per year. So every person there's on a pl- on, is on the planet, there's 3.4 tons of soil lost. So the total, let me see if I can find where that... There's no way I eat that much dirt in the air. <laughs> no, you're not eating it, but it, it gets lost. Maybe cheese. Maybe cheese. Definitely e- cheese. Either through wind getting blown away or through water. So northeast Wisconsin, we don't think about wind as a big soil until eroder. Until winter when we drive by and drive on the road and you see all the brown ditches. All the, yep. all the snurt. Well, yeah, and what did we not have when it started? The wind picked up. Snow, snow. snow. Yeah, everything was open, and I don't think there was much frost in the ground. So I mean, there's not. There was, but it wasn't like down. You know, the sun seemed to kind of. I probed yesterday. Yeah. I didn't find any frost yeah. at all. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, it was pretty. So pretty vulnerable. Pretty good opportunity. I mean, residue was flying like crazy. I was sitting in a farmer's shed having a meeting yesterday and we're sitting there and all of a sudden you could just hear like corn residue hitting the side of the shed and you look out and you could see it blowing across the lawn. So it, it does affect us. It not as much as some areas, central sands region of Wisconsin probably sees the biggest cause they're <laughs> a lot sandier and it's more of a year round thing that they're looking at. I had some days out there found a, Snow, uh, sandstorm every once in a while. Yep. Yeah, they're more open fields. Seems there, to be more windy yep, out there. Flatter, yeah. Is there a lot of road ditches that have shelter belts planted down there? They're starting to plant a lot more here and there, you know, where they can. And then there's, yeah, just trying to make wind breaks where you can. So. Well, they just planted one on Highway 29, right, west of Green Bay? Yep. Kind of on the way to Bondwell. I feel well, like out in the sands, there's like a really good opportunity for it because there isn't really ditches out there. Everything is, you can drive off the road anywhere and get into a field, you know, you don't have to go to the driveway. So. And dryland corners, they're planting more, which is, you know, because it's more irrigated. So one of the things they have found that's hard is you need it so tall to, you know, the, the height of the shelter belt has to do with how much length of wind erosion it can stop. And so it's hard because you need them quite often to really sort of stop, stop it. But they would still help have a spot to slow it down. But that's why cover crops do help a lot where you just get that, you know, even a two-inch rye, if you got those placed, you know, a bunch in a square foot, they're going to they're gonna stop that erosion and just help solidify that. Yeah, I found this extension article from uh, 1996, and that was when they were really starting to Are push. Are you reading the newspaper or did you find this in a Microfiche. magazine? Did nope. you go to Microfiche? Nope, it was on, on, the, on the internet, surprisingly. 19, what did you say, 1996? 1996, yep. Max was just born. And so there's a quote here from a forestry researcher at UW-Stevens Point. Need a lot more protection of erosion-prone land than we have. Windbreaks are an important component to control wind erosion. So they're specifying in the central sands region, strong winds can stir up trouble. Every year, according to estimates, high-speed gusts sweep several million tons of soil from cropland, scattering seeds and sandblasting fields. And I, I was, you know, when you think about the sandblasting, you're thinking industry, you know, you're sandblasting a piece of metal or something like that. But when, you, when we've worked down in the sands, you talk to farmers and that's, they're like, yeah, my crop's getting sandblasted. And it is true. You get that real sugary, loose sand, and it just blows. And yeah, if you have, if you've ever soil sampled in a in a sandstorm yeah. down there, you know exactly what 
it's like it's it's not super enjoyable. Can taste it. You can taste it. You can smell it. Uh, you find it in your body for days. <laughs> On egg egg radio yesterday, they were talking about down in Kansas. And I, they didn't weren't very specific on all the states, but there was a lot of um, they were worried about the wheat there and the wind erosion because they 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 talked like it looked like back in the the 30s in the Dust Bowl. That's how it looked on those days, and they actually said they'll have static electricity problems. And sure. I didn't quite, but like literally the sand blowing over that would create static electricity and then affect the wheat crop. Hmm. And hmm. I had never even heard of that, wow. or do I know how? I, I, right. They said it would look bad for a while. I'm like, well, how would that even, what does it do? And I didn't find much more on that. But it sounds like a, sounds like a story my grandpa would tell about farming right. the power lines. Well, and, and with our, our strong winds, we weren't the only ones. I remember seeing on Twitter and stuff pictures from different states. And they were, like Todd said, referencing the Dust Bowl because you'd have these big brown or clouds floating through. And it was almost as bad as the fog we had the other day before the yeah. wind. You just couldn't see anything through it. So, you know, wind wind can really take a lot out of it. And, you know, when you can see it like that, I think it really hits home as, as to show how much you're really losing because it's, it's one thing to have fog, and which is just water vapor, but when you've got soil flying through the air really fast and really thick, then you know things probably aren't good. The other way we lose is heavy rains, which we didn't really experience. A um, little bit of rain before the wind, but didn't get as much. But, you know, snow melt had it been a little bit more aggressive more snow you you get some erosion that way sometimes we got some heavy rains if you guys remember towards the end of the summer early part of the fall i was talking with a grower on monday tuesday um then we were looking at some of their records and stuff and they had five and a half inches one day in august and it really i I was there that day it really was five and a half inches in about 45 minutes so that's i mean there there's your erosion yep. problem i mean and we're the reason we we're talking about it was we were looking at a new haze, a new seeding of alfalfa and there's a couple gullies in there that we got five and a half inches of rain that was pretty much the end of those gullies so we're gonna have to go in and fix those but it shows you pretty how quick and one day one bad storm that's there you go there's your soil loss yeah usually in the spring we see a lot of it but you know even in august you You'd think most of your crops are, are pretty well established by then, other than you know some empty wheat fields, but it can still happen. So um, when we are looking to measure erosion, the way we kind of typically do that is using Russell, which is the revised universal soil loss equation, and that gives us a, a measurement of soil loss. And we write NMPs that is a magic number we call T. And that we all love our T numbers. We just like to meet T. Yep. We never get to meet them in person, but nope. we always have to meet them on paper. We don't want to go over T, though. Nope. We, we want to make meet, sure we... Meet or below. Yep, be below T. So T is the tolerable soil loss for a field based on that soil loss equation. And so we've got to manage that magic number that is T to make sure that we aren't losing too much soil in a given year. So what does that all mean to you or to our farmers? 
you know, like we talked about, you can see erosion in, in many different ways, whether it's dirty water in the streams and rivers when you get big rains, gullies in the field, snurt or dirty snow, dust devils. Um, and it's, it's something we can help affect. I mean, we can't fix it all, but cover crops, minimal till, no till, strip till, Contour strips, a lot of conservation practices are aimed at helping to mitigate those soil losses. Crop rotation, right? Yep, rotating crops. Change, maybe you got to change your crop rotation if you're above T. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're like Max said, you know, it can happen in season, but most of your soil loss and erosion is going to be either pre-plant or post-harvest when you got bare soil. So the less time you have bare soil the less likelihood you are of having erosion issues and keeps your soil. I mean, you can give your neighbors your soil. That's fine. It's kind of, kind of nice, but trading top soil isn't exactly, I think what we're in the business to do. So I would say that's a negative management practice trading topsoil. Yeah. It's probably not a, <laughs> only if the neighbor on the other side gives you his. Yeah. If the neighbors, if your neighbor's got a better fertility program, it works out better for you, but probably doesn't go where you want it though you like that yeah. one corner where the neighbor's land drains you can just tell they have a better fertilizer program than we do <laughs> well and the other part of it is too you know that sediment is naturally moving to your field moves in ditches and then you're blocking up drainage causes even more issues for your field so let's let's all agree to just try to keep our soil where it is it's a better, it, better option. thing to talk about when the, the soil health movement and going that way for more soil health is really the goal is just reducing erosion. I mean, obviously there's other things. Take it down to its core. But taking it down to its core is you're trying to stabilize that soil so you keep it where it's at as much as you can and hold it. And I think that's one thing to think about is, is trying to hold that soil as you're, it's, there's a lot of money in that soil too, by losing it. I mean, you're losing a lot of fertility in that soil when, when it's going the other way, especially at high fertilizer prices like they are now. So it's, it is something that, you, you know, you want to try to, to think about and maybe ask your agronomist, okay, where, where am I at on T? You know, where, are there certain fields? A lot of times it is only a handful of fields on your farm that are the main problems and the rest are usually pretty low and not always where you think. I mean, most of it's got to do slope and different things when it comes to water erosion, but there could be fields where you, you, you don't even sort of think about it that, you know, it's a big open field with just enough slope that has more erosion than you think. Yeah, so you know we can we can make things better. It is something we can control. One of those few things that you, you know, not completely control, but at least you can help mitigate or manage. So, do you guys ever get the question or the statement from farmers like, "Oh, that field never erodes"? I seem to get that sometimes, and I just do, find no, I don't. What do they mean just, by that? Well, like, well, that, I don't need to do this or that because that field that doesn't erode, that doesn't lose soil. It's flat. It. Just, Where is this magic soil? Right. I just, I think that's just a sometimes a misnomer that, you know, even flat fields can are gonna erode if there's enough, like you said, Max, enough water in a fast period of time, or the snow melt is really heavy. You know, heavy tillage, man. Yeah. It does. It does things. Yeah. If you're if water is traveling through your field, it's probably going to take something with it. I guess what I'm getting at is if you're sitting out there in listener land and you feel the way about a field that you have, take a look because I bet you'll find 
ask your new tier management planner because they'll know exactly how much <laughs> soil loss is tolerable on that field. Well, and even just look at your field. You'll find somewhere that it's eroding. I mean, it, it's just... Well, you, you know, it's it's hard to even picture in your head a ton of soil per acre. You know, like that losing a ton of soil off a field when you, depending on the size of the field, when you put that across it, it's not much. I mean, well, it's not... Even in when they... The best picture I've seen is where they take like a square foot. So imagine the size of a piece of paper and then it's literally like the amount of soil is so small. I mean, they just sprinkle like a real little bit enough. I think it was like a half a teaspoon. It's like they're putting their Parmesan cheese on their pizza. I, right. Like it's, it's not it's, much. It's not much. So that's the other part is it's such a slow loss that you're never going to see it going. You just won't. It's such a small amount that adds up to a lot over which, time. Which means if you do see it going, it's that much worse. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, by the time you see it, yeah, you're right, in trouble. Right. And the other part is it's not, I mean, yeah, we create a very little bit of topsoil each year, but it's it's so minimal that if we don't keep what we have, that isn't going to be enough to sort of provide, you know, to, to stop that. And uh, that's what a lot of those other, those conservation practices do is help encourage the building of more soil as well. You know, helping to raise organic matter. We were just talking yesterday with a farm over, I don't remember if it was four or five years they had gained half a percent organic matter with what they were doing. That's that's significant. That's a big, that's a big deal. Big yeah. deal. Yeah, it's you're not when you look at your organic matter, you're not going to go a point a year, or a, you know, percentage point a year. It's just not going to happen. But if you can build it slowly over time, that's at that rate is pretty dang good. So, all right. So keep an eye on on erosion. Keep that in the back of your mind. You may not see it as readily as you can see other aspects of your operation, but it's, it's happening, and there's things you can do to help mitigate that. So now we'll move into our spotlight for today. So I thought this was interesting, and it's kind of a farmer-started project. We've got the Field Pocket software. So after harvest is done, it's time to gather and organize all your paperwork that goes with it, tracking yields, all that fun stuff. And hopefully you have it all in one place. Peggy Meyer of Superior, Nebraska is a wife, mother of six kids, and bookkeeper on the family farm for 26 years. They've been trying to hone in on their profit loss and spending many hours doing the paperwork to try to get that all figured out. So she helped co-found a data integration software called Field Pocket, which launched this past September. It organizes, manages, and links all contracts, scale tickets, and settlement sheets for the farm. So once all the data is there, it integrates it, and within a couple of clicks of the button, you can get a report saying this field had this many bushels, here's your net that came out of it, and there's multiple fields on the settlement sheet. You can easily put it into your QuickBooks or whatever program and have your profit loss done a lot easier and a lot quicker. And, you know, we've talked a number of times on the podcast how important it is to keep track of those ROI numbers and profit loss. And, you know, in the end, having a 250 bushel yield is great, but if it's not profitable, then there's still changes to be made. So just another way of keeping track of all your your information software is available online and on an app for your phone. So, 
kind of a cool, neat little thing that might help you track all your all aspects of your operation. All right, let's move into the Ag History Minute. So this week, since we're talking about erosion, I thought we'd talk a little bit about the Dust Bowl. So after fairly favorable climate conditions in the 1920s, with good rainfall and relatively moderate winters, we moved into the 30s, and during that decade, Northern Plains suffered four of the seven driest calendar years since 1895. Kansas had four of its 12 driest, and the entire region south to west Texas lacked any period of above-normal rainfall until record rains hit in 1941. So can you imagine going from 1930 to 1941 and having just just below average rain every year? Mm. That would be just a nightmare scenario. So when the severe drought struck the Great Plain regions, it resulted in erosion and loss of topsoil because of farming practices at the time. Drought dried the topsoil, and over time it became friable reduced to a powdery consistency in some places. Without indigenous grasses in places, high winds that occurred in the plains picked up topsoil and created massive dust storms that marked the Dust Bowl period. Persistent dry weather caused crops to fail, leaving plowed fields exposed to wind erosion. So the only thing worse than having part of the year be open is having the whole year because your crops don't grow. On November 3, 1933, a very strong dust storm stripped topsoil from desiccated South Dakota farmland in one of a series of severe dust storms that year. Beginning in May 9, 1934, a strong two-day dust storm removed massive amounts of Great Plains topsoil in one of the worst storms of the Dust Bowl. Dust clouds blew all the way to Chicago, where they deposited 12 million pounds of dust. Should they equivalate to 5,000? 1,500 tons. Two days later, the same storm reached cities to the east, such as Cleveland, Buffalo, Boston, New York, and Washington, D.C. That winter, red snow fell on New England. So there's a good warning sign for you. April 14, 1935 was known as Black Sunday. 20 of the worst black blizzards occurred across the entire sweep of the Great Plains from Canada to South Texas. The dust storms caused extensive damage and appeared to turn the day to night. Witnesses reported they could not see five feet in front of them at certain points. Denver-based Associated Press reporter Robert E. Geiger happened to be in Boise City, Oklahoma that day. His story about Black Sunday marked the first appearance of the term Dust Bowl, and it was coined by Edward Stanley of the Kansas City News Editor for the Associated Press when he rewrote that story. So... That's how we came to know it as the Dust Bowl. But yeah, I can't imagine seeing red snow, snow or yeah. a black blizzard. That's just not something we've... It's like something out of a sci-fi movie. We've had to yeah. see in our lifetime, which is we're very fortunate for. Being that so. it was almost 100 years ago, we don't really have a grasp of really how bad it really was, which was terrible. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, the best equivalent we have is fog. You know, when you have that real thick fog that you can't see. But instead of... Your grandpa's must have been able to tell you guys about this, right? My grandparents would have been born in the 20s and 30s, so they would have been pretty no, young. Oh, are all too too young? Yep. My great-grandparents were, like, turn of the century, 
So my grandparents were probably right in the young stages there. Yeah, they would have been kids. I mean, we're more of depression type stuff, you know. Sure. The the idea of not going without things or, you know, rationing things or that kind of stuff more so than the dust. And Wisconsin, I don't think, was hit quite as hard as the Plains areas, you know, the Dakotas sure. and all that kind of stuff. But Just Some of this old farming stuff, the only way that... Uh, I or you guys know it probably is through what Grandpa told you while you were sitting on his knee one day. No. Yep. But yeah, I mean, they were around for it, but yeah, it wasn't... It's uh, My grandpa was born in 38, so he wasn't... Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to think that how far some... You know, to hit Canada and... Well, for Boston Buffalo, and... Buffalo, Boston, you yeah. I mean, that's a you long way. in Boston and, even think about the soil erosion of the Great Plains? I not, not until it shows up on the right. doorstep. When you like have that. red snow and yeah. you're like, what is this stuff? Like, what's going on? It's kind of like when we, yeah, when we get those smog smoke from Canada coming down. And yeah, the stuff. wildfire stuff. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. It's just crazy to think about. It is crazy. All right. Thanks to all our listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend to subscribe. They're going to ask, how do I do this? You say, on your Apple Podcasts, on your Apple phone. So if you have an iPhone. Search Tilt Talk Radio on an Android. Download Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM are three good apps that we like. And you can also search Tilt Talk Radio, and you'll find us there to subscribe. Another easy way is to go on your computer or smartphone browser and go to tiltegg.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, go to hashtag at Tilt Talk Radio. That uses the right word. That hashtag at, isn't right. I think it's at just at, at Tilt Talk yeah, Radio. Okay. Yeah. No, don't need the hashtag. All right. Get it right, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's wrap things up then with some current events. So cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Our cool beans this week. United Airlines just completed the first flight fueled by SAF which is sustainable aviation fuel, a 100% renewable fuel made from products such as cooking oil, vegetable oil, or even soybean oil. So it could be another market for those soybeans. Uh, they, they realize that with air travel, there's no battery technology that they can even see in the near future coming that's going to allow people to fly these big planes. Make it hybrid planes. It's not in the plan. Yep, not like the EVs <laughs> yeah. for, for travel. So they said what they're looking at is more of the sustainable aviation fuel. Um, so it, the particular fuel they used on this flight was made from sugar and corn, um, but could be used, like I said before, vegetable oil, soybean oil. Um, so just another way of using crops for a sustainable type fuel. So I wonder if it smells like corn. That would be when sweet when you're up there. Like pop, it was like popcorn. Are going to hand everybody popcorn instead of pretzels? Uh, I was going to, I mean, it's it's corn, but it would be nice if it smelled like when they roast soybeans. Because I think that's a Yeah, the soybean oil, yeah. If it smelled like roasted soybeans, I it would be pretty cool. I love when they roast soybeans. Oh, it's great. What what airline was it, did it say? United. United, yeah. Do you think the suitors got up there and said that, like, we'll be cooking with oil today or not? Like... We'll be cooking. As with, a, I don't know. As a, we'll be cooking with maize oil today. Yeah, somebody on the flight. Are you like? Eh, I don't know. So you're riding a corn cob to your next destination potentially, or that soybean pod. So pretty cool. It's always good to have new markets 
and new purposes for for the crops that we grow to have a way of diversifying that market. So I thought that was pretty cool. Now that's corny for this week. Kind of ties into what we've been talking about today. Decreased funding for conservation programs doesn't meet the demand. So since the 2008 Farm Bill, funding for the Conservation Stewardship Program has been cut in half. And I'm just going to find the section here. So uh, since 2008, CSP funding is cut in half. In 2008, it was at $2 billion. 2014, it was between $1.1 and $1.9 billion. And in 2018, it was less than a billion. So it's been kind of ramping down over the last decade and a half or so. Um, so every year, USDA receives far more applications for CSP than it has the ability to fund. In 2020, only 25% of CSP applications were funded. So that that's across... So that seems like a low number. Yeah, it does. But I know when you talk to folks at NRCS, you know, the, they encourage people to sign up right away and they have, you know, a point system and, and different things to allocate who gets the funding. So it is is limited and for a lot we, of these things. We, we're in a localized pocket that has really good luck getting CSP funding maybe because yep. 25% sounds really low, but... Yeah, the so the, later in the article here, it, it does list top five states for enrollment are New Mexico, Utah, Oregon, California, Nebraska. And top five states for renewals were South Dakota, Illinois, Montana, Nebraska, and Oregon. So there are other states that are, are trying to get it. And sure. Why, why would New Mexico? New Mexico is number one. It's nearly double number two and three. Like It yeah. seems really high. I wonder if they just well, spread but, it over more acres. Yeah, and think about they, the diversity of the enhancements you can do with CSP. Yeah. You know, we're just doing a, a few, like, tissue sampling and... PSNTs and yeah, and maybe they, they've got a pretty diverse with vegetable yeah. and think different of the pasture. pasture acres yeah, they're putting in out there. I mean, that's yeah. I if I was a betting man, I'd say that there, there's a lot of dollars going to pasture out there. Big open sheep land. Yeah, and I, I think there has been a a bigger push in the last probably five years of people trying to some of this stuff and. A lot of them want to get the cost sharing if they can. So, yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked about erosion, different types of erosion, and how we kind of get that figured out for nutrient management plans. In our spotlight, we looked at the software field pocket that helps you Put together all of your numbers on the farm to figure out your profit loss. Egg History Minute, we talked about the Dust Bowl. Cool Beans was united to completing a first flight with a sustainable airline fuel made from, in this case, corn, but future there, potential for soybean oil as well. And that's corny was the decrease in funding for CSP programs not being able to keep up with demand from farms. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.